about them Irish. I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the Four Horsemen Podcast. And welcome to the Four Horsemen Podcast. I'm Dylan, joined by Steve and P-Wagon. It's your favorite three idiots. Um, I'm sure you guys are feeling pretty gross like the rest of us. Notre Dame obviously defeated in the Rose Bowl against the Alabama Crimson Tide. Um... I'm not too unexpected for me. I picked them to lose. What I want to hear is from you guys. What what did you think of that game? Well, the score didn't reflect what was on the field. That's that's that. They played a lot better than a team in orange and white did. They just ran into a buzzsaw. That's, See, that's I think that. I disagree with that. I think the score was favorable to us. It felt like at no point in that game were we really in it. To me. Um, yeah, I mean, it, we we weren't in the game, but we did not we did not do ourselves any favors. Right, I I think if we did ourselves some favors, uh, didn't try establishing the run down fourteen, which I mean did lead to a touchdown. But we said all along, you're you're this is this is a horse race, and, and you can't just take your time and and try to be methodical. It's you know take some chances, be risky, and yeah, and you book through an interception. But hey, I mean we at, at, there was a point in the game where it was fourteen seven, and and we were fighting. I mean we forced. Uh, you know, fourth, four punts, right? I, I think they were six for 10 on third down, which I mean, that's 60%, which is pretty darn good. But I mean, against this team, if you told me heading into this game that Alabama would only score 31 points and that we would hold them to four punts, uh, you know, I, I would say, yeah, I mean, we're going to stand a chance. Uh, so I, I think there were more points on the field available for Notre Dame. Uh, this could have easily been, you know, 31, 21, 31, 24, 31, 17. Um, could they could also pour it on an extra touchdown or so, but I, well, I we think did score a touchdown that was called back on a ridiculous penalty that, that prevented us from, you know, we had to go for it on fourth down and we missed it. Mm-hmm. So there was points on the board there. You're right. You are correct. Yeah, for sure. And so I, I think that it would, yeah, the the score didn't exactly indicate it, it wasn't the closest game at all, and and at no point did Alabama lose control. That's that was abundantly apparent. I just think it, it shows that you know the the competition was there. Uh, we're we're not quite there at the elite Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson level. We are not too far behind. I not in my opinion, and I you know there's work to be done, and we'll we'll cover kind of you know position by position and breakdowns and film and the whole nine but i think this was a it was a good matchup it was a good game obviously it was it sucked (laughs) simultaneously but i don't think that the sky is falling so that's my personal take one last note alabama's punter fucking sucked because we have the best punter in the nation and i don't want anyone to forget that happy birthday jay bramblett i don't know how old you are but you're my favorite player on the notre dame football team and where is Jay Bramlett from? Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Oh, nice. Did Alabama not even offer him, or what happened there? I, let me find out. Sorry, <laughs> not enough research. Um, while you All looked I that know, up. We went into their backyard, took their best punter, and said, F you, Bama. Yeah, Bramlett was really good. Um, he's really come on, I think, to the to finish his sophomore season, and I, I think he'll hopefully we won't have to see him next year in a good way. But when we do, I, I have a lot of faith that he's going to uh, to be a Tyler Newsome-type kicker for us. Um, for me, it was very frustrating. It was just a very frustrating game because we knew what we didn't have to do. And we knew the coaching staff was going to do Ugh. what they didn't have to do. Mm-hmm. And it just was, you saw it coming. And you're like, God damn it. Why did you roll out 
the exact same game plan as Clemson in this one. It was pretty much the same thing, right? We were very conservative. We threw the ball. We had one receiver catch the ball all game. I don't think Ian Book threw the ball 20 yards down the field. It just, I get the ball possession thing, but you you need to score points first and foremost. And it felt like we were trying not to lose. And, and that's what's frustrating for me because Ian Book, I didn't think played a bad game. The interception obviously broke our back, but I'm glad he ended it well with the onside kick. He didn't end it with a touchdown. But before that, you know, he scored on a, a quarterback keeper and it felt like a nice touch to end his career at Notre Dame, which looks like the case after what he posted today on Instagram. I just I wanted a better effort. I wanted a better game plan. You don't beat Alabama playing that. You beat Alabama by throwing the ball in their face for four quarters. And, so, uh, and I think here's the issue. here's the issue. It's not Brian Kelly. It's Tommy Reese. Tommy Reese has been around this program for too many years. He's the problem. He's a young offensive coordinator and he's afraid of fucking up. There that's play, he that's what he did as a quarterback. He was a game managing quarterback and if we have a game managing offensive coordinator, it's going to be the same shit every year. You don't have people taking risks there. There there's zero zero creativity in what they're doing. And everyone's going to come out and say, "Oh, it's Brian Kelly's fault." I love Tom. I think he's a great coach. I think he's a game manager, though. He can get the guys to where they have to be, but when he has to call the play, there's a disconnect, and that's that. Yeah, but how much of that is on Brian Kelly for the game planning? Like, if you're and, and you have more experience, P in the in the in the backroom staff, who's in charge of developing the offensive game plan? Is it the head coach or is it the yeah. offensive coordinator? It depends on the, it depends on the staff. Uh, when I coached, I was the special teams coordinator, so I was in charge of all special teams stuff, kickers, assignments, all that stuff. Uh, my coach, he was an offensive line guy. Uh, so he took over the offensive line, but he was also part of the offensive coordinating staff. And then we had a full defensive coordinator who did that. So I, obviously I coached at a high school. I didn't coach at a, a main college program, one of the top college programs in the nation. Uh, so it could be different there. But it's really dependent on what Kelly has set up. Uh, with that, it could be that Reese comes up with a game plan and runs it through him which I think would probably be the case. Uh, and he just gives them the okay there and they run ideas by each other. Uh, but um, um, until I'm in the room with Brian Kelly to find out what he's doing there, I, it'd be hard to say what, what's happening in that regard. Yeah, um, it's, it, it, yeah, go ahead, Steve. Please go ahead. Oh, well, thank you. Huh. I, I just, I think that Brian Kelly has run into some really unfortunate teams. And people are going to point to Notre Dame getting blown out by Alabama, by Ohio State, by Clemson. Any of those teams would get blown out by those teams. That's just kind of how it is. I don't think it's a Brian Kelly curse. And people who say Brian Kelly hasn't won a big game, for the most part, are right. But they're completely ignoring the Clemson game from this year. Uh, that was absolutely a big game. Clemson, even without Trevor Lawrence, is a top four program. But there is something wrong in in the approach and the mindset at Notre Dame. And... Um, it, it really cost us, and I love Tommy Rees a lot. Uh, I kind of hope he's a secret listener of the show, which he might be. Um, but it was just not—it was not right, and we saw that from the Clemson game, right? We knew that was going to be the case. And look, when P Wagon, Mister Run the Ball, is telling you before the Alabama game that we need to throw the ball to win, maybe it's maybe it's time to throw the ball. You know, I mean, we beat up on weaker teams all year by using our best player, Ian Book. And uh, and that just didn't happen in this game. Steve, what uh, what were you going to say there? So I had an original point, and then in the process of you going through, you know, kind of your talking points, there's also another I wanted to follow up on, which is what we we privately talked about, uh, you know, in our own chat. The first point I wanted to make is that <clears throat> Brian Kelly, when he f originally came to Notre Dame. He came here from the University of Cincinnati and the University of Cincinnati offense that he ran. I believe it was Zach Pike and and there was um you know, there's a handful of guys on on that team. They they were an offensive buzzsaw. 
they you could they got pushed the ball downfield. They could run. They could pass. They were balanced. They they took chances. Like they they were very very good. They were very good. And there's been flashes of it, you know, here at, at Notre Dame over the course of his uh, his decade tenure. And you know, to a to a point, sometimes you just kind of have to work with the personnel that you have. Uh, and and obviously, we don't have currently. At, at least not that they are are trotting out onto the field. Maybe they do on the practice field, but not on the game field. We do not currently have game breakers on the outside. I mean, Javon is very good, and and Ben Skoronek is very good, but they they play their role to who they are. Um, it just it just feels like you know I we've been waiting for Brian Kelly to to catch up, uh, you know, to the to the elite club. And you specifically, Dylan, uh, have brought this up. It was like this this Notre Dame team this year competes with the 2012 Alabama team. But we are eight years past that. So we have to adapt and grow on the fly. And, and the game at both the NFL and the, the uh, and the especially the college level, if you look at the last three years with all these QB prospects, it's a pass first type of 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 you know, game. It, it's, it's just evolving. So we have to evolve in turn. And and don't get me wrong. I love being able to pound the rock, control the trenches, love that aspect of the game, but you have to be able to on the fly adjust your program. And, and I think this will be hopefully a learning step for them. Now I did have a second point I wanted to get to, unless anyone wanted to jump in. I do want to say something to your point before you get to your second point in 2009, Cincinnati had the number one ranked offense per S&P plus in the country. Brian Kelly's team, number one. Yep. And they went to a BCS bowl game. And I mean, they ended up losing that bowl game. And that's because head coach Brian Kelly had literally left the program to start basically the recruiting trail for Notre Dame. <clears throat> now, the second point that I wanted to make is what we've spoken about privately and, and something that Dylan, you kind of uh, hinted and alluded to, which is, you know, the 2012 Alabama team, the, the 2015 Ohio state team. And then, you know, in recent years here, uh, Georgia and then Clemson, and then obviously Alabama that we just played two nights ago or uh, last night. I don't know. I, I've been drinking all weekend, pretty sadly. <clears throat> um, these are literally some of the greatest football teams that have ever been assembled. I mean, if you look at the 2012 Alabama team, they had 23 players go to the NFL. AJ McCarron, who was you know kind of a game manager call for what it was, but it, he did time in the in the NFL. Uh, you know, Eddie Lacy, TJ Yeldon, Kenyon Drake, all three of them are still in the NFL currently. Uh, Amari Cooper, heard of him? You know, Chance Warmock on the off- offensive line, Haha Clinton Dix, Landon Collins, CJ Mosley, all guys on that 2012 team. Uh, of course, they were going to be dominant. And then you look at the 2015 Ohio State team, which I think is even more impressive and more ridiculous. They had 36 players go to the NFL. Zeke Elliott, Michael Thomas, Paris Campbell, Terry McLaurin, Joey Bosa, Raquan McMillan, Eli Apple, Von Bell, Marshawn Lattimore, and Denzel Ward. And then you think about 2018, 2019, Georgia, they had a handful of players go to the NFL, especially on the offensive line. They're running backs, DeAndre Swift, Nicole Hardman, uh, phenomenal, phenomenal teams. And we lost to those Georgia teams both times by what, a score or less, right? And then there's the 2009, uh, 2018 Clemson, Trevor Lawrence, as you know, he's a true freshman at the time, but it is what it is. I mean, Justin Ross, T. Higgins. Uh, their, their whole entire defensive line was astonishing. And then now we're, we're playing, we just played Alabama, who is literally going to put five, possibly six players into the first round. It just depends on whether or not someone takes a chance on Najee Harris in the end of the first round, which running backs typically don't go at this point with the way that the NFL is go- going. But, but maybe, maybe I, there's talk of the Steelers maybe picking them up late, depending. So you know, you're looking at a minimum of five you know, first round picks and all of them, except for you know, four out of those five, except for Patrick Sertan are going in the first round. So on on offense. So, yeah, I mean, you're facing one of the greatest offenses ever assembled. You can't, you can't play not to lose. You have to play to win. You have to play more aggressively. But the, the more major point that I'm making here is, yeah, Notre Dame has lost some, some games 
in recent history, some big games, you know, the BCS, we, we all know the graphic. We all know the, the fucking talking points that, you know, the Twitter idiots will talk about. We, this is any team in that position would have lost by 20, 30 points. I don't care who you are. You will get blown out because Notre Dame. Yes. They've lost some of the big ones to some of the greatest teams ever. So that's that's the point I wanted to make, and I'll let you guys kind of get in your points because I had quite some time there. Well, speaking of Twitter idiots, <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of people on Twitter right now who are uh, upset about... And a few of our own fans, I may add, as well. We angered a whole bunch of people. They are punching air. They... Oof. <laughs> it's something that we have. It's a narrative that's part of the game. Um, so, if you've been listening to this podcast for the last three years, thank you. Uh, if you're new to this podcast, we're no stranger to controversy. Uh, so, a couple of years ago, there was a beat that I got uh, that a certain player who's no longer with the Irish uh, as of today uh, got called cheating on a test. I let some people know that could verify it. That made national news. It wasn't through me, but it was through the person I reported it to. So that was one. The second one was the other day when our account posted statistics that were researched. About the Very different... classist, I may add, or so I've been told. <laughs> about standardized testing scores. 170,000 people saw the tweet. We have 800 followers. <laughs> Statistically, that's not good. <laughs> when you have 170,000 people see something that you write, it's usually people are going to be angry at you. Uh, I'm not going to apologize for how standardized testing works in America. I'm not going to apologize that people couldn't read all the other fucking funny tweets that we put out. And I'm certainly not going to apologize that I called Nick Saban a Grinch. (laughs) That was the funniest thing. The whole thing that pissed me off about this whole thing. You have Bama fans. You have Tennessee fans. You have Auburn fans. You have other... LSU a- fans. A&M fans have quickly become the most insufferable as an they're, aside. They're, but, the, yeah. they're the worst. But you have all these fans who do the same exact thing that we do. The same <laughs> thing. They're just, they just don't have a podcast where people listen. And they say even worse things. The fucking Barstool ND account was saying how Matt Jones had a DUI. Respect to Sean. I like Sean. He's a friend of mine. But we didn't go. We didn't take the low hanging fruit and talk, call Sark an alcoholic. Talked about Matt Jones having a DUI. Talked about any of the other stuff that you could have just picked off the branches and said, "Oh, this is mine. This is mine. This is mine." I'm just going to take the low hanging. Talk fruit. about historically systematic problems throughout the entire. Yeah, state. like we not going to go there. We didn't go there. We talked about Nathan Bedford Forrest, which was a Civil War joke. The <laughs> Neil Young. <laughs> Neil Young writing. <laughs> people don't understand how fucking ridiculous last week was and i i don't get it guys it was was, it's deliberately ridiculous and obtuse and lame trash talk right like bama hate week we're not talking trash about Bama because there's no way we could yeah i'm gonna say you it's gonna lock up Devontae smith that happened yeah, like, oh yeah, we're we're gonna have so many freaking talking points against a team that's been in the national title six times in the last decade. Really gonna run through the Bama defense. <laughs> that happened. What? Well, well, did but, like, but then we go into like a civil war joke, a, a joke about Leonard Skinner, which when we brought that up, people getting mad at us thought we were serious about Leonard Skinner, and then out of all things to upset an entire fan base, it's just this random tweet about. ACT and SAT scores that everybody lost their mind and it was the funniest thing and they didn't believe we were joking they they thought we were serious it's like nothing about this account is serious right we just do it for random funniness and uh, 170,000 people saw P-Wagon tweet questionable statistics but (laughs) the amount of people who told me what they got in their SAT to go to Alabama 
good for them. Like I ended up congratulating people who told me they graduated from the University of Alabama. That'll get you far. <laughs> and, and the other thing, the other thing, I wasn't talking about the players. The NCAA has a something called a clearinghouse. The clearinghouse means you're on a sliding scale. You do better in the classroom. You need a lesser score to get past the clearinghouse. If you're under a two, I think it's a two five, you have to redshirt your freshman year, no matter what. Like that's the weird NCAA rule. Every player on Alabama and Notre Dame who get in have over a two five because they're not redshirting immediately, and if they are, they have under a two five. It's it's not just at Notre Dame, Alabama. It's every freaking school in the country. Everyone has a clearinghouse. The joke was that the emission standards are different, and no fucking person on the internet could understand our goddamn joke, and Reddit is the worst place in the world. Yeah, because Notre Dame, someone on Notre Dame Reddit said we were the worst type of fans. But, like, here's the joke, and I didn't want to say it out loud because... Like on Twitter, I didn't want Alabama fans to have any more material. But none of us went to Notre Dame. Like we're <laughs> we were called snobby grads. It's like we don't care about I the went admission to standards. Johnson and Wales University. <laughs> like nobody. <laughs> literally, literally, the actual motto that people use to insult the school that I went to in the state oh, of Rhode Island is Johnson "When all Wales. else fails, Johnson and Wales." That's good, right? But for some reason. You know, we were linked to this arrogant Notre Dame Catholic school thing. And one thing I want to talk about, too, is how much simps are in the SEC for Alabama. We were getting oh, people in our mentions from Tennessee, LSU, Georgia, and defending Alabama. It's like you are the cuckiest fans in the world. You chant SEC when Alabama wins a title. That is a cuck. You are the SEC. I cannot deal with them. And it was unbelievable the type of responses we were getting. But again, the funniest 24 hours of my life. They really are. Like, Sims is the perfect word. I just, just flawless. I mean, it's... I, I Yeah, I mean, I, I concede my time, but flawless. The Simpson <laughs> Conference... I put in our bio, super serious about ACT scores. Now I put in our bio, covered against Alabama. We are not a serious Twitter account, guys. Come on. <laughs> All right. Let's move well, into... Well, well, my my okay. gifts. My gifts are very serious. So Yes. Which I didn't have a chance to post a single gift because I don't think we had any noteworthy play. Maybe a screen pass, but I, I missed it. So oh, We had that punt that Jay Bramlett downed at the three-yard line, which was awesome. Which definitely hit an Alabama player. Right? I had to. I, I've looked up the Zap Bruder film on that. Moving on. Yeah, that would have changed the game. But um, so, yeah, obviously in the last week since our last podcast, we put out an all-decade Notre Dame team. You guys should go check that out on Twitter. Um, we voted on it. I liked I was happy with what we put out there. Um, we got some engagement with some of the former players and their relatives. So, Kavari Russell, if you're listening, we're a big fan of you at the Four Horsemen podcast. But if if you guys have nothing else to, to, to say on this, I think we should go into what the hell Notre Dame goes from here, right? Because we just had our best team get their teeth kicked in by Alabama in the semifinal. What's, how do we get over the hump? What do you guys think? I put out, obviously, a thread on Twitter that were my thoughts, my solutions. I, I just kind of want to hear what you guys have to think. So the first thing that we have to do is find a, a grad transfer corner who doesn't suck. Um, that That's number one. I like Nick McLeod. I thought he was a good player until the final game. But Clarence Lewis and Tariq Bracey aren't it. And we need another safety. We have Kyle. The, the defense needs to be overhauled. We need a defensive coordinator. Like, there's number one. Um, we'll talk about that. Offensively, the TCU quarter, uh, Oklahoma quarterback transferred, just went to TCU. There's going to be some other quarterbacks transferring around the country. We've lost out on Mackenzie Milton. Uh, some people are saying that it would hinder the development of Pine, Buckner, and um, Clark. Clark, yeah. Uh, but I, I don't care. Pine's prob- Pine is probably never going to play because Buckner is that dude. But also... There's a. I didn't realize how small Drew Pine was until I saw him on the field. 
Yeah, he's like five eleven. He would not a big boy. He would be a good northern Illinois husky. Like uh like that one guy Jordan uh, something, I forget, but I yeah, know what you're yeah, talking about. The Mac matters. Mm-hmm. But like he would be a, a good <laughs> Mac quarterback. But and, he would even be a good ACC quarterback. You know, yeah, you, you put you put him at, at Pitt, Syracuse, something of the sort. Yeah. And I, I just don't think his father would allow him to go to one of those schools, but that's beside the point. I, I actually coached against him back in the day. Um, so going from there, we need a TB12, TB15, whatever number he's going to wear, right into the programs, just start slinging the rock right away. Um, he's going to be the quarterback. I'm afraid to use a freshman quarterback ever since the Jimmy Clausen experience, but um, that, that's where if there's a quarterback competition, even better. But that's yeah, it's that's, it's really unfortunate that we don't have a one year stopgap, or we don't yet. I think um, a big thing is overhauling the offense. Right, this whole approach we have is just it's not cutting it. You're not going to beat the Alabamas, the Clemsons, the Ohio States of the world. When you're playing a Big Ten offense, that's obviously not Ohio State. You have to modernize. Look what Nick Saban did. I know some of our listeners are run the damn ball, so let me pitch this to you. Nick Saban is the greatest coach in college football history. I don't even think that's up for debate. He has seen the future a couple years ago and has within years turned Alabama into one of the best offenses the sport has ever seen. You know, you think of those Alabama teams that won in 09 and 11 and 12. They didn't have good offenses. A.J. McCarron was a doable quarterback, but that team wasn't hanging 50 on everyone. Nick Saban saw that and he changed. He changed the offense. And what now? What we have now is an explosive pass-first offense with highly recruited and NFL prospects at wide receiver. And I think Notre Dame needs to do that. It doesn't mean... The running backs don't play a factor. The way Alabama uses the running backs, I think, is perhaps the greatest way anyone should use them. On second and one, second and two, third and one. And you'll see they don't get stopped. They they have so much success on, on the running plays because of that. And I think we need to move to an offense that's explosive, that has a limited but useful role for running backs, that puts an emphasis on wide receivers. Now, thankfully, I think our wide receiver group is really good next year. Um, I think Kevin Austin is the real deal. I think Jordan Johnson's the real deal. I think Braden Lindsay's going to have a great season. But that's where our focus needs to be. We have to be a pass-first Ohio State team. Look what Justin Fields did, right? Um, and no matter who's at quarterback, whether it's Pine, whether it's Buckner, whether it's you know Joe Montana, someone's got to have an offensive system that works for them. And uh, and that's my biggest concern for me is definitely the offense. Steve, I know you you look at recruiting well. You look at the roster breakdown. What do you think Notre Dame has to do to get over that hump? I, I think we actually have guys in the secondary that there's so much talent there, and we've done a really good job of recruiting. Uh, and, I, and I think that this upcoming year, we're probably going to have a really good secondary. If not next year, then we're talking two years out. We're probably going to have a dominant secondary. Uh, and that's even with projecting Kyle Hamilton to leave to the NFL after next year. <clears throat> we have a lot of young talent. It just didn't, it didn't trans, you know, there, the, the, that's the difference between a four star guy and a five star guy. A five-star guy steps on campus day one. He is a game-breaker. He is a playmaker. He is ready to hop onto the field, and it doesn't matter if a red-shirted senior uh, you know, is across the, you know, the, the, the line of scrimmage from them. They are ready to, to step up, and they are just that dude. They are a physical Michael, specimen. Michael Mayer. Michael right. Mayer, just an absolute physical specimen. And, and it would have been nice to see uh, Jordan Johnson this year. You know, we got obviously the flashes of Chris Tyree, which was fun. But I mean, look at Patrick Sertan. Like he, that, he was a true freshman starting at Alabama. And now three years later, he's heading to the NFL because, you know, he's just like, I'm, I'm in, I'm out, I'm on my way because he, he's unbelievable. So <clears throat> now Notre Dame does not have five star recruits on, you know, with the exception of Kyle Hamilton. On in on their defense, it's it's four star recruits. So it, it it will typically take those guys two to three years to develop into their own, right? Like Bo Bauer 
is going to be a staple of this defense next year. It's going to be his third year on campus. He's a redshirted sophomore, right? So uh, he, he, Bo is that he's, he's going to be very good. He's going to be a great linebacker. There's, there's, uh, you know, Caleb offered is, uh, I think a true freshman that redshirted this year. There's a lot of promise with him. You know, there's going to be, you know, growth and experience and with Tariq Bracey, and with Clarence Lewis, uh, you know, there's Houston Griffith, uh, I believe, in the secondary. There's uh, Litchfield Ajavon, I believe is how you say it. Like, there's there's guys, there's, there's you know, really big recruits that we landed that just needed time to get into the right spot from a mental and physical standpoint to compete with the top-tier guys. And that's basically the issue of Notre Dame. If you look at Notre Dame, their defensive line and their offensive line, the trenches in 2012, we couldn't compete with Alabama. Now, if you looked at the EPA and, and the, you know, the, the advanced statistics yesterday or of the, the game the other day, Notre Dame's offensive line was equally as effective as Alabama's offensive line. They, they were averaging 3.1 yards attributed to the offensive line on every rush which is if we are competing with alabama in the rushing game with our offensive line against their defensive line that is really good we had the offensive line this year we had a quarterback this year we just didn't have the wide receivers right and and then on defense we have the defensive line they were good the linebackers good the secondary well, you know, the safeties were above average just because Kyle is very top heavy in that regard, but the corners just weren't up to snuff. So it, the issue, and we've been saying this repeatedly and repeatedly, is we've never had all the talent all come together at the right time. It's, there's always one unit that's lagging behind and we need to get everyone. It, it's just, it's honestly all timing. And if I'm going to take in a truthful assessment and we can talk about, you know, next year's schedule, which I, I shared with you guys, we can go through that. And I think we have a good chance to have a good year next year. But when it comes to competing on the national stage, winning a New Year's Six Bowl game, winning a college football playoff game, I think we are probably two to three years out because of the timing of everyone kind of getting onto the same elite level all at the same time. And that's yep. that's my fear. And in in that. two years, Buckner will have been you know ready. Mayor will be in his saw his junior year. Your your wide receiver group that we love so much will all be one or two years under the belt. The running backs will be in their third year. The corners will finally have some top recruits sneak in as sophomores. The offensive line will always be amazing. I agree with you. I, I think looking at the schedule, I actually think we could run the table next year, depending on the quarterback play. But it's it's that two years from now, I look at this roster and I think that's going to be special. I think if the quarterback pans out, the corners pan out, I think that could be a really, really special team. But to me, it all comes down to the offensive scheme. P-Wagon, I'll let you jump in. Uh, just to go off of that before we talk about the scheme, um, COVID happened this year. People forget that there was a pandemic. So Notre Dame went home early, right? And this is kind of me talking this out with yeah. everyone. We're going on an adventure in my brain. They have a great strength and conditioning staff, probably one of the top staffs in the country. Yep. You have to go home and you have to train by yourself. You can be given a program. But if you have to train by yourself and you don't have a coach in your face making you do that extra work, you lose a step. Now, it was the same for every program. But the advantage Notre Dame has for these freshmen and sophomores is that they're still growing. They're still some of them haven't even hit puberty full yet, and they can still get bigger and stronger and faster. Missing out on a whole semester of spring ball and training with their staff. Again, and one of the top strength and conditioning staffs in the country. And learning the playbook. I think that had a little bit to do with it as well. Defensively, mostly. But now you're telling me you get Rocco Spindler in there next year. A uh, friend of the program, Rocco Spindler. He's 
what, six foot four, 300 plus, and he's 18 years old and yeah. is he's still be a monster. He's going to look like the bid show by the time he's out of ND. And it's just, he, well, look at Parker Boudreau. That, here's a perfect example Parker Boudreau. Fat, went, friend of the show, too, by the way. Yeah, love him. Uh, he came to ND. For some unfortunate situations, he had to leave ND. He posted a picture the other day. He is an absolute goddamn freak. He doesn't look like an offensive tackle. He looks like he could be a friggin' tight end right now. He is a freak, and he's still growing. That That's just physiology right there. So I think with ND's strength program, which isn't going anywhere, uh, we'll be in a good spot, especially for these underclassmen. Yeah, 100% agree there. Um, and there's definitely reason for optimism, too. Like, I don't think the schedule is particularly d- difficult next year. You got the neutral game against Wisconsin, and you got USC at home, because screw them, they lose their home game from this year. I like our chances next year. So I'm looking at that schedule right now. Florida State, win. Toledo, win. Purdue, win. Wisconsin, they don't have a quarterback. Big game. It'll be Kelly going for the Rockney record. Uh, Cincinnati, if they keep everything intact right now, and and Cincy doesn't lose a D coordinator, that's another big game. So you got Wistro, Cincy, Vatek, at Vatek with that stupid enter Sandman. So that's a thing. Uh, By week, USC, North Carolina, Navy, Virginia, Georgia Tech, Stanford. That schedule is a little better than I thought. I didn't realize since he was on it, but I don't think since he will will hold up for another year personally. And I think we might actually take the defensive coordinator and um, perhaps that's something we can move into now in our last kind of segment here of the show. Off-season moves. We're entering the off-season. This is an important uh, part of the year, obviously. Um, we're go- we are going to do a National Signing Day type thing in the future. I think maybe in two weeks or so we'll we'll do a, a podcast dedicated to recruiting because I need to rep my boy Gabriel Rubio, big friend of the show. I think he's going to be an absolute monster on the defensive line. But we'll get into that later. But that's something that's coming up. But before we get to that, we have a defensive coordinator position to fill we have potential transfers to come and go. We've lost um, Jafar Armstrong already. That's kind of expected. So where do you guys want to go first? Do you want to go with the defensive coordinator? Do you want to talk about potential transfers? I'll let that one up to you. I think the defensive coordinator is a natural point to bring up here. Uh, I like the Cincy D coordinator. I like Elston um, internally. Um, and then there's Tyler Stockton, uh, former ND defensive lineman. Uh, he's the Ball State D coordinator right now. Uh, just an interesting name there. So I think are- it would be nice to promote Elko and then bring Stockton in to be basically taking yeah. over Elko's spot. That's what I meant, not uh, not Elston. You know, same people. You mean, yeah, El- El- Elston's spot. Um, guys, names are names, so no one I. I threw out there yesterday Don Brown. I know we do not have the corners for it to play man-on-man island coverage, but Don Brown's resume at Michigan was unbelievable. Those those Wolverine defenses up until, obviously, the COVID year were unbelievably good, and I think that would be something interesting at Notre Dame, having a blitz-heavy defense like that. Uh, Freeman, I, I, would, I think... It, I was just going to say that that's my true... I love that sort of defense. Um, you know, you, you get, you just take care of your, your guy on the outside and then the, the inside you wreak havoc. So I, I would actually very much so like that, but I'll let you continue. Yeah, we, we need the corners for that though. So that's an iffy, but Freeman, I think is the favorite out of Cincinnati. Apparently he is an excellent recruiter. That might actually be his best strong suit. And that would be awesome. Do you know what name I heard today? Um, apparently this is an internet rumor. Uh, and I think Driscoll wrote about it. Mike Elko, the former defensive coordinator who left for Texas A&M, there's rumors out there, I don't know if they're any valid or not, that he might be interested in coming back to Notre Dame, and that would Fuck have uh, system system oh. continuity. Fuck him. I mean, he, he's a great coach, right? He did a good job at Notre Dame. He did a great job at Texas A&M. That's someone that I would, I would look to. But I think Freeman is everyone's first choice, and unless he gets a head coaching job, which he could, I think the pitch to go to Notre Dame is... Well, one, it's Notre Dame, but Notre Dame has done such a good job of pumping out head coaches from their coordinator positions. Not that those head coaches have maybe gone on to do good things, but basically we lose a coordinator every two years. So 
if Freeman wants to be, you know, a head coach eventually, I could see Notre Dame DC position being very attractive for a year or two and then getting that high power five head coaching position. Especially um, that, since we, yeah, we, especially since we have the infrastructure, you know, you look at the defensive line, you look at the, uh, the linebackers and then, you know, with, with Hamilton and then, you know, corners, hopefully growing into their own, as we've you know, previously discussed, you know, there, there's, there's plenty for him to work with. So I'll, I'll, again, I'll let you go forward. I just kind of wanted to bring the point that like it, it should be attractive for him because it's not like he's walking into a dumpster fire. He's walking into an incredible defense. I got, I got one. <clears throat> You're going to hate me. One of you is going to fight me right now. If you save Bob Diaco, I'll kill you. <laughs> That's going to say, isn't it? Bob Diaco, the man with the best hair in football. He was good in 2012. I'll kill you. All right. So that those are the D coordinator, Toff, and uh, now on to transfers. All uh, right. Wait one second. I'm gonna list you per F plus ratings, which is a combination of SP plus and, and FEI. Just the top defense in college football. And you tell me if they have a defensive coordinator we can uh, steal. Quickly, I know that SP plus is basically some sort of efficiency stat. What's FEI, please? Um, football outsiders, um, this is a, they've combined these stats. F plus is Brian Fremo's FEI ratings. Uh, I don't know too much about them, but I think they're efficiency. I think they've basically put two efficiency scores together to create like a harmonized efficiency score. Cool. Um, football outsiders, advanced analytics. Okay. Here are the, here are the top schools. You tell me if they have a defensive coordinator we can take. Clemson, number one. No. Obviously not. But I also don't think they're a very good defense this year. Northwestern. Decent. If Fitzgerald leaves, the guy will be up for grabs. Three, Cincinnati. Yes. There we go. Yep. Four, Iowa. Iowa? Yep. I'd like to believe that we can pull somebody from Iowa if we truly wanted to. For the right right dollar amount. Five, Wisconsin. Yes. Six, Georgia. Would love to. But yeah. Probably not, right? I don't think we can we can scoop someone out there for the same position because, again, we're looking for lateral movement to a, to, to Notre Dame. Uh, seven, San Diego State. <laughs> well, San Diego, they call South Bend the San Diego of Indiana. But, uh, <laughs> right. That's all. I, I don't think the coach, I, the coach will probably leave if the bad's big enough. Uh, and then, Eight nine is Ohio State Notre Dame, so those are the defenses who, per this metric, were better than Notre Dame. Um, I think Cincinnati is the answer. I think Freeman's the answer here, and I think the pitch is come for a year or two, recruit well. You're gonna have a good infrastructure, and we're gonna win some football games. And you will be, you are already being considered for head coaching positions. Um, that's only going to escalate if you if you come at Notre Dame here and and the system isn't too different from what I recall. He's done both a four three base and a three four base, so moving back to a four three is fine. Um, the four three versus you know our rover four two five position. I don't think there's going to be too much of a of a difficulty. Um, so I think Freeman's the answer. But if that's not the case, interesting to follow because defense has been Notre Dame's strength, and and that's obviously going to be a key part of the offseason yeah transfers um p you uh, you always have your inside sources you is there any position or person you're looking to get and is there anyone you think we're going to lose uh well we obviously lost jafar armstrong that was a big one uh he was a or i was an early fan of his i i think he uh did what he had to do he hit an unfortunate situation uh going into uh, the wide receiver position and couldn't really make a mark there. Uh, so losing him, you're looking at different um, receivers and running backs that we can add to our stable. Uh, we lost Colin Grun- Grunhard too. Uh, Kansas has reached out to him. Uh, so that's interesting that Kansas uh, was looking at him. I'm trying to pull up the transfer portal right now. There's a couple names in there. Uh, like I mentioned before, the, uh, Oklahoma quarterback went over to TCU. Uh, that was Chandler Morris, which is a TCU name at its finest. Uh, there was a corner or defensive back from Kansas, four-star, 
uh, totaled seventy tackles and seven pass deflections. Corrine Harris. What the hell is a four star doing going to Kansas? <laughs> exactly. He was 105th nationally from Louisiana. I would like to look at him. Uh, if he can go to Kansas, he can probably make it in South Bend. Uh, so he would be interesting to look at. There is also another one, a uh, couple other So just to up. cut in there, we're all in agreement that we need to go get a corner, yes. correct? Like that's a target quarterback. Mm-hmm ideally if we can find the right fit is there any other position you're looking at i think safety i feel good with houston griffiths at safety he was our top recruit in the 2017 class or whatever and i think he's going to make a big impact um but maybe the 2018 class but is there any other position or group you think we need to 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 load up on or is it just corner yeah potentially we, need corner? Find, we need to find athletes um and I, that's using the trans the recruiting term uh someone to replace jack uh, that's going to be huge, but he hasn't declared that until he's going to the NFL draft. Who? Some, Jeremiah Owusu-Koromo. Uh, yeah, he no, he's gone, dude. First round pick. Not. I, I'm I just, think Jack Kaiser is the next rover, but yeah, I think another athlete in there. Isaiah Pryor could be the guy. We had high hopes for him, and nothing. We didn't see anything from him. He was a high four star of Ohio State. There is this athlete from uh, Florida State. Uh, he totaled 34 tackles. Uh, and four tackles for loss while he played at Florida State. Raymond Woody the third sits one one ninety one. You can put some uh, weight on that frame. Uh, he was ranked uh, four star and fifty first in the state of Florida. He's from Tallahassee. I think he, you could get him in. He could play that kind of roving position to give that part of the position depth. But that's all I'm, I'm seeing right now. I'm not hearing anything else yet. But there could be lots of surprises because if listeners at home don't know. Because of COVID, anyone this year can transfer without getting hit with the one-year redshirt rule. So anyone, freshman, sophomore, doesn't matter, you can go to another school. So there should be some interesting names that pop out. In terms of people we're going to lose, Steve, is there anyone you think, because I, I got the depth chart up here, um, and I'm I, I'm th- seeing some names, but is there any that you had off the top of your head? I would be afraid of losing Lawrence Keys. And yeah, I, don't, that's I, I don't know if there's any validity to it, but I'm definitely uh, – I think he has so much freaking upside, man, but it would really stink to lose him because you know, he is kind of in no man's land on the uh, uh, on the depth chart You because know, yeah, you know, the, the, there's the definitely guys around him. It's, But there's also currently three positions up for grabs at wide receiver because McKinley has declared, basically, um, Skoranek's likely to go, and then Davis doesn't have his spot saved. So I look at wide receiver, and I agree with you. We have a log jam there, and, and Keys is one of them. I think Joe Wilkins is another. But they may want to stay to fight for that spot because there there is three. Um, for me, I look at a guy, a redshirt freshman, Kendall Abdur-Rahman, uh, wide receiver running back kind of guy. We've got three running backs right now, Kyron Williams, Chris Tyree, and Sebo Flumster. Flumster could go, but I, I don't think so. And then we're bringing two in in the next class, which is Audric Estime is going to be an excellent power back, and then Logan Diggs if he signs. I could see maybe Kendall piecing out. Um, I'm looking kind of around the depth chart. I think we're good on the offensive line, obviously we lost Grunhard, the uh, the center, but I think there's so much uncertainty with who's going and, and who's staying that maybe that could be a spot where we don't lose too much. I look at the D-line. We rotate our guys enough. I don't think we're going to lose anyone there. Um, it would be surprising. I think defensive tackle is one of our better positions going forward. I mean, you look at a guy like Riley Mills, who had a, who was even in the, the, the Rose Bowl. Um, linebacker, I think think we're probably good. I don't think Bo Bauer would leave, but I mean, you got to think there's Maris Leafau and Jack Kaiser who are, you know, competing with him. Um, corner is going to be a complete, a complete shit show and, and, and safety. There's a position there. So I actually don't know if we're going to lose many guys. I know we should, uh, because you know, this team's loaded and, and there's lots of, uh, you know, opportunities right now with all the positions that are open in the rule. But I think we're we're pretty good. Um, I could see maybe because Kurt Heinisch came back, which was huge news, that maybe defensive tackle. But is there anything when you guys look at the roster and look at the depth chart where you're concerned? I know Jordan Johnson, there's rumors, maybe the coaching staff and him. I hope that's not the case because he was a borderline five-star. I mean, he's basically a five-star wide receiver. 
I would hate to lose him as, you know, he's only come in here his first year. Do you have any concerns? I think that Johnson, they, they, he has to know that he's going to be as a call it a red shirted freshman heading into next year, 2021. He's got two, potentially three more years where he's basically going to be the starter. So, I mean, yeah, it sucks being a five-star guy and having all that talent and and walking onto a Notre Dame team that, uh, or signing with a Notre Dame team that, that, you know, had some talent discrepancies or some shortcomings at the wide receiver position and him not really getting the time that he's looking for. But dude, you're a true freshman. It's the true freshman signing and stepping onto the field and, and being a day one guy. It is so freaking rare. And, you know, especially when you have two guys that are redshirted seniors. I mean, come on. Like, what do you, what do you think is going to happen? You're going to step in, in front of Skoranek or or, uh, or or Javon McKinley? Like, that's just not going to happen. Like, be realistic. So set your expectations. So I, I if this if he was like a sophomore, then then maybe it's like, hey, you know, I got to get onto the field. I don't know. Or, or maybe if there was younger guys, like if there was like a true junior that was starting in front of him and, and he was kind of like right there, you know, equally talent wise, but they're just favoring the senior classmen, then I could see that the case, but it, it would be incredibly short sighted for Jordan Johnson with a five star quarterback coming in with a great offensive line with like all the tools coming together yeah. at the national stage. You're going to be playing on television and getting all the exposure 12 games a year, a minimum minimum. Pot, probably yep. 13 and like spots I, open too right at the yeah, wide receiver position the, right the, it's open it's open the spot is open it, jordan johnson would in my opinion would be a fool to transfer because i think the literally the world is his to take over at this point going forward yeah i think if he stays he's gonna have a monster breakout season in his sophomore year so you know jordan if you're listening to this we're big fans stay at notre dame because you're going to be the next great Michael Floyd, Chase Claypool. It's Jordan I, Johnson's the next one. I literally uh, love with Kevin Austin too. Kevin Austin's coming back. That's going to be huge. Um, another thing with the transfer rule is everyone is allowed to stay and basically not count against the scholarship limit. So we could have some interesting seniors stay. Is there any guys you think in particular we would love to have come back? Because we got Kurt Heinisch apparently. That's not fully confirmed. He's hinted at it. Um, anyone else you think maybe, you know, sixth year seniors perhaps sean crawford in his 11th year anyone else you think might want to come back i could think of one guy in particular that'd be really nice to have him back anyone want to take a guess is it joker liam eichenberg i'll give you a hint he touches the football on practically every play sometimes he throws it jared patterson Yes, Jared Patterson. Correct, exactly. But Patterson is. Uh, I'm not concerned about Patterson because he is only. No, he's, he's a redshirt sophomore. Yeah, red, redshirt sophomore. Uh, so Ian Book. The answer is Ian Book. Oh, I'm so sorry, guys. Um, <laughs> I mean, I Patterson is draft eligible. I think he's coming back. But yes, Ian Book. Obviously, um, my bad. Uh, obviously, we'd love Ian Book back just for the one year. I know there's some fans who just want him gone because they associate this. Notre Dame fans are so stupid. I know. I know. Let me just talk real quick. I'm sorry for hijacking this, and this will be 30 seconds. Okay. Ian Book played and won almost every game he played in. When's the last time we could say a quarterback did that? Do fans remember Jimmy Clausen? Do fans remember? I loved Jimmy Clausen, but he had his shortcomings. But he's no Ian Book. Do fans remember Malik Zaire, Brandon Wimbush, Deshaun Kaiser? I loved Kaiser. I mean, we can love them, but with what Ian did, he was an undersized quarterback. He ran the ball. He said, all right, I'm going to run the ball 361 times. He missed one game out of 36. Because in 2018, he bruised a kidney, and that happened in the first drive of the game, and he finished the game and won. Two playoff appearances, a 30-5 and record. He doesn't have to explain anything to anyone. He and will be a Canadian football player. Who has he lost to? He's lost to Georgia twice. twice. He's lost to Alabama. Just once. 
It was Wimbush the first Georgia uh, game. Okay. This history. Georgia once, Clemson twice, Alabama. Yeah. I mean, and like, Michigan. come on. And Michigan. And, and Michigan. I mean, that that's a fucking resume, man. Yeah, and he's won some of the big games, too. Obviously, Clemson and any other ranked matchup, SC, Stanford, that we had. Um, I agree. I'd love Ian Book to come back. That's just not happening, I, I don't think. Um, I look through our depth chart. I would love if we can get one of the defensive ends back. Either Dalen Hayes or Ogunda Deji um, would be fantastic. They're both redshirt seniors, though, so they're already in their fifth year. Um, just because I love Foskey, but when you look behind him, it's Amadola. Ovi, uh, Nana. I would just like one of those guys to come back for some depth. On the defensive uh, defensive tackle, I feel good with Heinish. Uh, Myron could come back, but I think Jason Amidola is great, and I think Jacob Lacey is great. Um, I think we're getting the entire linebacking group back, minus Joker. Um, Drew White's a redshirt junior. Shane Simon's a junior. I think they're coming back. We're fine there. Um, I don't think Nick McLeod will come back, but he would be great just to have as a number two. Uh, for next year, if we can still add a grad transfer. Um, I I love Sean Crawford, but I think it's probably time for him to move on. I think Houston Griffiths will be the will be the real deal. Um, and then offensive line, I'd love to get one of them back. I project maybe Robert uh, Hainsey might come back at right tackle. He's just a senior. Um, Eichenberg's a redshirt senior, and he's a projected first or second round draft pick, so I think he's gone. Aaron Banks, a redshirt junior. If Banks comes back, that's the biggest get for me. For the listeners at home, if we get Aaron Banks to come back, I think we'd be stoked. Um, Tommy Kramer is a redshirt senior. I think he's gone as well. So if we bring back Banks, Patterson, and then we fill in the holes, and Hainsey, and then we fill in the holes with you know Quinn Carroll or Kristovic or, or um, Zeke Carell, I think our offensive line is fine. We're losing a lot of talent, but if we can get two of them back, plus Jarrett Patterson, I don't think he's leaving anyway. I would be very happy with that defensive line. If we can get one, we got Heinish, and if we can get one edge rusher, I think this Notre Dame team can return a lot of talent, and I think it's possible. That's for you guys to keep an eye on at home um, and let us know who you want to come back because everyone is eligible. Before we kind of wrap this up, I got two more things to do. Very quickly, yes, no answer. Does Brian Kelly get an NFL interview? Two, if he were to leave, throw a name out there for a replacement head coach at Notre Dame. Jeez. Huh, uh, I'm, I'm not going to pretend to be the biggest, um, you know, coach knower dude. So I, I, I'll only be able to answer the first one. Does he get an NFL, NFL interview? I think he would be invited. I don't think he takes it. I, I think he's, um, at this point, he's almost 60 years old. I think he's 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 pretty high up there. I think he's committed to the college game. He's uh, shutting down his recruiting. <laughs> exactly. I think he's he's signed his letter of intent. So I it just given you know age, uh, career stage that he's at, uh, he's a couple of wins away from the Notre Dame record. I I don't think he even you know he'll he'll probably Considers. get some calls. Yeah, he'll he'll get some calls, but I I think he'll just say hey, you know what I'm I'm happy. As for who would replace him, I mean you know I'll, I'll just say Urban Meyer because I. I don't even know any other available coaches. Like the only other coach right. I knew was like Matt rule. Who's now the, the coach the, the, for the Carolina Panthers. So I'll, I'll, you know, just say nothing for that basically. Yeah. P wagon. Do you, you think he gets an interview or do you think his agents just declining any offer? He won't. Get Cause it. he did just sign an extension by the way, Brian yeah. Kelly at Notre Dame. He'll be asked to interview. He won't interview. I think he's staying at ND. He's going to finish out his time there. Um, that'd be done. Uh, if someone had to be offered, I have three names, four names, two are realistic, one, two are not. Brent Brennan, San, San Jose State University coach. Uh, he they did pretty well this year. Uh, second name, Coach Ed Orgeron. He'll never leave, but I would love Coach O. Just just to be at ND would be fantastic. Uh, hopefully, you could bring up Mike the Tiger. Yes, Steve. In real time, Robert Hainsey just said thank you Notre Dame on his Instagram, so he's gone. Sorry, uh, breaking me. I just I just picked him to stay. Damn it! All right, well let's hope someone else comes back because that offensive line is going to lose a lot of talent. Sorry, Pete. Get back to it. So, those two names, Coach O would be my second. Uh, Bo Pelini, I would like to see him. Uh, at ND, I'm just a fan of Bo Pelini. Gus Malzahn as well. 
Uh, he didn't do well at Auburn, but I'm a fan of his program. He uh, won a national championship, didn't he? Yes, he at least but played in one. He just got fired. <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, <laughs> Montgomery Van Gorder uh, would like to see him back at Indy. All right. For me, I, I agree with you guys. I don't think Brian Kelly uh, takes anything. But if he were to go, um, Campbell out of Iowa State, apparently there's a rumor that he will only interview for the Ohio State or Notre Dame job. He has no interest in Michigan. That would be great. Uh, a guy I wanted to be offensive coordinator because you brought up Orjon. I don't think he's the brains behind the operation. The quarterbacks coach slash passing game coordinator at LSU the year Burrow was there. His last name, I believe, was Brady. He took a job at the NFL. I wanted him to be our offensive coordinator. Um, I would still be interested in having him involved in any capacity. Uh, obviously, Urban Meyer, I've been a big advocate for that. I think the only guy I'd want over Kelly is Urban Meyer. Uh, but those are some interesting names. I mean, it's, you're going to hear it all offseason from the you know the people who hate the coach. But, Steve, I'll let you get in. Yep. Uh, so uh, this is topical. Uh, the looks like the uh, Inoke Brechterfield, who is the defensive line coach for Wisconsin. He looks like he's going on to join Clark Lee, Clark Lay, however you say it. Still don't know. Never going to learn. He's going to join him at Vanderbilt. So if he, if he was in any sort of contention, he's not coming into Notre Dame. And also, hilariously, Texas QB Sam Ellinger is going to forego his senior season, and uh, he's going to declare for the NFL draft. So that's going to be hilarious to see him drafted in the sixth round and never start a game. I can't wait for the Ellinger book, Great Cup. That'll be hey, fun to watch don't, on don't TSN. Do don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's if the CFL ever comes back. They might just financially fall apart with COVID. Um, all right. So we got the coaches out of the way. Lots of great ones out there. I mean, Freeman would even be interesting as a head coach option. Last thing, we got to get into bulls. Um, the battle has been, the dust has settled, let's say. So we did bull predictions on the year in tied last place is both P. Wagon and Steve. You're 11 for 25, 44%. <laughs> on aggregate, on aggregate, Steve, you are 48.1% through three years. P. Wagon, you're 50% through two years. Second place is me. I went 16 for 25. I'm 59% on aggregate for three years, 64 on this season. And Back-to-back -back winners is my girlfriend who knows nothing about college football <laughs> and picked only on the name of the team she likes more. She's 17 for 25. She went 4-0 yesterday uh, to come from behind and beat me, 68%. On aggregate, she leads all of us. She's at 60% through three years. That's amazing. Um, but that leads us to one more game. I could theoretically tie her for the year. College football playoff national championship, Alabama, Ohio State. As quick as you can, who do you got? Ohio State. Alabama. I just uh, statistically, Mac Jones just has had a better year than Jarrell Burrow had last year, which was the greatest season by a quarterback all time. So um, I, I just don't understand how you stop that. My girlfriend took Ohio State, which means I have to take Alabama if I want to tie her for the lead. I'm going the Crimson Tide. Although Ohio State can absolutely win this game, I think their defense has shown to be better than what we thought. They have the type of offense that could really make Alabama pay. You saw that with Florida. Well, you're going to see it with Ohio State. That's going to be an excellent game. The and we are part, rooting for the Buckeyes. We are rooting for the Buckeyes. So the best part of the semifinal day was seeing Clemson get their absolute ass handed to them. The worst part, in addition to us losing, was realizing that meant Ohio State was going to the national championship, and I hate Ohio State. They are a blue blood. They are, you know, in the top five all time. They are competitors, so I don't want to see them gain any ground on us. But obviously Alabama's the bigger threat, so I'm going for the Buckeyes to – I want them to win. I'm taking Alabama to win. P-Wagon, do you have another thing to say? Breaking news for us, but not for everyone tomorrow. Uh, Aaron Banks just declared for the NFL draft. I am over two on this podcast <laughs> since recording. Since <laughs> since saying what I said, we've had two linemen in real time. Uh, that's annoying. Aaron Banks is a great player, though. I think he's going to be a you know day one or day two guard taken, probably the first guard taken off the board. Um, good for him. I mean, we put him in our all-decade team. So, Aaron, if you're listening, thank you for the years of Notre Dame service. You've been a phenomenal offensive lineman. And, uh, and that's it. So... 
what does this mean for us now? The season is over. We are not a basketball podcast. We I absolutely loathe Notre Dame basketball. Like I, I'll cheer for them, but I just won't watch it. I can't stand it. Um, I just college basketball until March Madness means nothing to me. So what we do is, I'm thinking, you know, a couple weeks from now, maybe a month, we'll we'll do a recruiting podcast. We'll we'll talk about the incoming class of 2021. We will talk about the draft and Notre Dame's drafted players after the draft in April. We might come on every now and then to talk about news, coaching replacements, transfers, whatever. But basically, the podcast is going to slow down until September. So uh, expect maybe a few episodes here and there. Uh, and then uh, spring ball, of course. And then we'll start season four in late August. So, guys, do you have anything to say to our audience after a huge season three growth for the four horsemen? Be nice to us on Twitter. um all right well i mean it's it's been a it's been a ride it's been awesome uh the growth is awesome the fan engagement is awesome i mean we get uh dms we get ads uh you know people share with us their game day traditions i know uh you know mike uh he he shares with us all of his irish car bombs which i love and um as we've said many many a time we we do it all for you guys uh we're we're certainly not doing it for the money we're doing this for just uh pure passion and love of this program this team uh and then and uh, just to be able to to talk about everything and, and interact with all you guys it's special and it's awesome and we appreciate it so so thank you everyone you know please go on to itunes throw us a five-star review uh and and we love you and this wasn't the the uh the way that we wanted to go out but the future is bright, as it always is, and uh, the Irish eyes will be smiling as we head into 21. Well said. I mean, thank you guys for listening. This has been a great year. We've seen probably double listening growth. We've seen like four times Twitter growth. It's been awesome interacting with you guys, interacting with the analytics community. Um, yeah, if you can, like Steve said, uh, we got to counteract those Alabama fans who got mad at us and gave us a one-star review on on Apple Podcasts. So. If you're there, please leave us a nice review. We would appreciate it greatly. And we look forward to to uh, br- providing some content in the offseason as well as a huge Season 4. Reminder, we are 2 for 3 in Notre Dame going to the playoff. Let's make it 3 for 4 next season. From all of us, go Irish! <laughs>